So, so good to be back with you. We've had a lot going on in our household. We had, obviously, Thanksgiving that we've all just kind of wrapped up this week. But before that, our family had a wedding. Our daughter, Emily, married Jordan Monroe a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Yeah, thank you. We're so wonderful. He's a great, great guy. And uh, we're pretty big fans of hers as well. So we're so, had a lot to be thankful for this year and a lot going on. You know, I gotta tell you, Emily's wedding got here a lot sooner than I thought it was going to. It was just a surreal experience. Some of you may have married off one or all of your kids. You know a little bit about what I'm talking about. It was like just crazy that I was giving away my daughter to be married. Now, the good news, as I said, is we love the guy that she married, um, but it was just, it was really surreal. I, was, I kept thinking to myself, and Julie and I kept saying, like, how are we old enough to be doing this? But then I remembered Emily was born when I was 11, and it helped a lot to kind of, kind of <laughs> mute the sting a little bit. But I will say this. We actually had a ball. We, we decided early on, Julie and I made a conscious decision, because when we started to realize that Jordan and Emily were heading for a wedding, we, we said, you know what, this is coming, like, like a freight train down the tracks. And so we made a conscious, collective decision to enjoy the ride. We decided we're going to enjoy the planning, we're going to enjoy the parties, we're going to enjoy the deciding. And I can tell you, we did. We actually had an absolute ball from stem to stern, top to finish, all of, all of the points in between. It was an amazing amazing experience and season that we went through as a family. But I will tell you this, we had a secret weapon. And our secret weapon was my wife, Julie. Julie had this thing so well thought out, so planned, so well communicated. Nobody wondered where they were supposed to be, who they were going to have to sit next to, or what family was going to be where. Had all of that stuff, all those details taken care of so beautifully. She did a great job of involving Emily and asking her opinion and creating the illusion that she had choices to make in her own wedding. It was a beautiful thing. But it was those conscious, collective decisions that we made to enjoy the process and the product that I think made all of the difference. And I would tell you that what Julie did for wedding planning actually can serve us incredibly well during the Christmas season. You know, as we turn the corner for Christmas and flip the calendar and get ready to head headlong into the holiday season, I mean the meat of the holidays, I think we could all stand to make some collective, conscious decisions to enjoy the ride. That, that we could make some collective conscious decisions to keep Christ the focus and protect that focus from all of the frenetic, frenzy, crazy, wild stuff that happens so many times during the holidays. I thought about something as I was preparing and praying for this message in this Advent series that we're kicking off today. You don't have to play along with this, but if you feel like it, feel free. I wonder how many of us in the room right now already are feeling a little bit of at least some angst or some stress about the holidays. Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, wait, keep your hands up. That's okay. That, man, look around the room. You are in great company. You may be worried about a gift you have to give. 
You may be worried about a party you have to throw or a party you have to attend somewhere and you don't like the people, but you got to go. And those kind of things happen all the time. You may, be, you may be stressed or worried about family that's coming and you don't know how long they're staying. Yeah, there, the hands are going up all over the room now, I understand. But it happens. But Advent is a season. It is a tradition in the Christian church that I think can actually help us. Advent is a collective conscious decision to use the time before Christmas as an opportunity to focus our hearts and our minds, our lives, and our calendars on the actual reason for the season, to remember that in Christ, everything matters. Everything has purpose. And so we can use even the frenzy of the season to be reminded of God's unique purposes of what Christmas is really and truly all about. I wonder what would happen if, if you could wake up or I could wake up from our Christmas afternoon nap. How many of you take an afternoon nap on Christmas Day? Okay, spiritual giants. All of y'all are ready to teach a class here. When you would wake up from your Christmas afternoon nap, if you could think to yourself and pray a prayer of Thanksgiving and say, you know what, this year, I got everything out of the holidays that God had for me. This holiday season, I experienced more of who God is, of what he has for me through this entire season, not just because of one service that I went to on Christmas Eve or December 17th or anything else, but because I stayed in the moment, because I made those conscious collective decisions with the people around me to get as much out of this time as I possibly could. That's what we're after through this series, Advent. That's why we're doing these, these Christmas blocks that Deanne just mentioned earlier in our service. This is an opportunity. You may be a single adult, you may be a student, you may be a family with multiple kids around the table, but it's an opportunity to take every day from December the 1st through December the 24th and into the 25th to pause, to pause and to, to kind of process and, and ponder, what is this really all about? And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks in this time in this series called Advent. There's a passage of scripture that I want to kick things off with. It's in Galatians chapter 4. And in Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says something absolutely fascinating about the arrival of Jesus, God in human form, Emmanuel, God with us when he got here. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. The Bible says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, the book of Galatians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a fledgling congregation there in the town of Galatia, the, the region of Galatia. But what he says here is so powerful. When the right time came, God sent his son. Some translations say in the fullness of time. That means that when time had, had bloomed and, and reached its, its absolute right moment, that 
was when God sent his son. God sent his son, born of a woman in the same way that you and I are born, but under much different circumstances. Born of a woman, subject to the law. Now, what that means is Paul was talking about Jews. He was talking about the nation of Israel who had received the law of Moses. They were born into that law, that covenant relationship with God. The law explained how to live in that covenant. But then he goes on and he says that this one who came, the Messiah, meant that we were no longer slaves to the law. Now we could be adopted as children of God. Children of God. That is a staggering concept. That ought to knock you out of your great upholstered seat this morning. To think about being a child of God. You know, our, our family has grown not only because of Emily and Jordan getting married, but over the last few years, we've got our bonus girls, Allie and Sylvie. Allie got married to Will, and Joe, our biological son, is getting married to Abby in April. I mean, it is growing, and, and we, we gather together as a family whenever we can. And I'm just going to tell you something. As a dad, as our family has grown and expanded, it is getting expensive to feed these people. We gathered in September. Joe and Emily had the same birthday, two years apart, September the 6th. And we gathered for a meal at a restaurant. Everybody had a good time. Everybody ordered up. But when the bill came due, they all looked at me. I said, you know what? I got it. I'm a dad. That's what I do. But can I tell you something? It's my favorite money to spend. It's my favorite money. When our family's around the table together, laughing, making fun of each other, enjoying one another, I've seen grown children that no longer live in my house and buy their own groceries. I get a little misty. <laughs> but there's another layer to that, too. See, I've, I've told y'all before, my parents divorced when I was 12, and my dad passed away when I was in college. And so that, that kind of a, a setting was not something I grew up with. And so for Julie and me to be able to, to be, you know, the, the paterfamilias, as the Cohen brothers say, and the materfamilias, and to, to have a family around a table that enjoys each other, I'm good. I'm, you, you, you can take me home at that point. And I really believe this. I really believe that what I experience as a, a flawed, foibled father of earth is actually just a little sliver. Can you see that? Can you see that little daylight right there? I think it's that narrow a sliver of what our perfect heavenly father experiences, what he, what he feels for us when he sees us gathered, when he sees us as his children, his, the heirs with Christ because we have followed Christ, that our heavenly father takes joy in his children. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. God's not. How much more does God enjoy his children being his children and enjoying the family table? And all of that is possible because of Advent. The word Advent just means arrival, a, a coming of someone or something. In this case, of course, we're talking about 
Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Now, traditionally, Advent has comprised the four Sundays before Christmas, whatever, wherever that falls on the calendar, because December 25th has been established as the day that we mark, that we celebrate Jesus' birth. We're pretty sure he wasn't born on December the 25th, but that's the day that got chosen, and so we celebrate it that day, but there's this, this, this warm-up, this, this season in advance, and this opportunity to focus our hearts and our minds, this opportunity to remember that in the fullness of time, God sent his son so that we could be adopted into the family of faith, so that we could be children of God, that we could, we could experience that, we could live in that, we could live that out. And, and it's, it's that that Advent reminds us of it. So that's the intent of Advent, that we stay mindful, that we stay intentional, that we remain focused. And, and maybe that, that because we're in this season together as a family, we help each other stay reminded and stay focused and stay intentional. And, and maybe we even say no to some things that we might say yes to, but some things that we don't feel like doing, but we go and do because we see God may have a purpose in that. There, there may be something that God wants to do at that office party through you. There may be something that you can do through a gift that just moves the ball down the field in the life of someone who doesn't yet know Christ. That is what Advent is all about. And so what we're gonna do through this series is we're gonna look at the biblical record of the events leading up to the birth of Christ. The Bible gives us this account. Luke chapter one and two is probably the most familiar. I think if we're gonna be totally honest, we're, we're probably all a little bit familiar with Luke two just because of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I mean, that's the one that Linus reads. That's the one that we're familiar with. We know that story. But in Luke chapter one, in Luke chapter one, the Bible is setting the stage for Advent, for the arrival of Jesus. And there's, there's a passage that I wanna read to you that before we get into the arrival of Jesus, look at what Luke said. Now Luke, we think, was probably not a Jewish author of scripture. Luke was probably a Gentile. We believe he was a, a physician by trade. But I want you to look at what he says in Luke chapter one, at the very beginning here, verses three and four, Look at what he says as he introduces his account of Jesus' life. He says, now having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That sounds like a doctor, doesn't it? That sounds like somebody who's into the details, who wants to know what actually happened. He says, I've carefully investigated this, and so I set out to write an account of the life of Jesus for you, most honorable Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a fascinating word. Scholars are divided over whether Theophilus refers to a specific person or a type of person, because the word Theophilus, if you break it down, Theophilus, it means Lover of God, God lover. So if, if, 
It could be just written to anybody who is a follower of Christ. It may have been written to a specific person who was known as God lover. Either way, Luke's intent in writing down this account of Jesus' life is to feed the fire of faith. He says, I've carefully investigated all of the things I'm going to tell you about, but I've written them down so that you can know that what you have been taught is real and true. I want you to, to own what I'm about to give you because I have done the homework. I've backed it up, and I want you to be aware of this. I love that the Bible gives us that level of confidence, that, that testimony of confidence for our sake. Look at what he says as he talks about the arrival of Jesus. He, he goes from talking to Theophilus, he then goes into a description of the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was of course cousin to Jesus' mother, Mary, so they were related before they were ever born. But then he gets into the arrival of Jesus. Look at what it says in Luke chapter one, verses 26 and following. He says, in the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I love love that the Bible says Mary was confused and disturbed. Confused and disturbed. But as we will see, God was up to, up to something very, very specific in Mary's life about the life of the world. But he was up to it through Mary's life. You see, you know, when you ever like punch in an address on your phone to get directions to where you're going, it, it'll, it'll show you the directions. It'll show you kind of the overview map where you're gonna go. And if you live here in Austin full-time, you see where all the red lines are gonna be, where there's traffic. And then it'll tell you how long it's gonna take you to get there, how many miles you're gonna go, and what your ETA is, your estimated time of arrival. Okay, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm curious about something. This is, this is an interesting survey. When you see the ETA on your phone, how many of us try to beat it? Yeah, these are my people. That's what I'm talking about every time. Like, if I get there at the time it says, I feel like I have failed. That, that's, just, that's just poor. But that ETA is your estimated time of arrival. Well, we've already seen here that Jesus was born at just the right time. It wasn't an estimated time. It was the fullness of time. It was the 
perfect moment in human history, the only time in history that the Roman Empire and the nation of Israel could conspire to kill him. It was the exact right moment. It is the fulcrum of history. Every part of human history pivots on the fulcrum of Jesus' arrival. And it wasn't estimated. As a matter of fact, it was greatly expected. And that's what God is talking to Mary about, and I believe it's what he has for us this morning. This ETA that is an expected time of arrival. That we expect God to show up in our lives. We expect God to make a difference. We expect God to be God. To be God to us. And because of the arrival of Jesus, to be God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, for some people, it may sound, I want you to be clear, uh, it's not being presumptuous to say we expect God to show up. We expect God to be God. We expect God to be with us. It's not because we're entitled to it. It's because of who God is. We, we have this ETA, this expected time of arrival, because we know who God is. And so we expect it. The Bible talks repeatedly about the spiritual skill of waiting for the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 says, those who wait for the Lord will mount up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not be faint. They will run and not be weary. This expectation that God will show up and do what he says he will do. And this is where you find Mary, this, this probably very, very middle adolescent young Jewish girl, because that's when most people got married, most young women got married in that day and age. And here she is encountering Gabriel, the angel of God, who shows up and says, Mary, highly favored among women, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what this could mean. I love that the Bible says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was confused and disturbed. I take great comfort in that because there have been plenty of times in my walk with Christ where I have been confused and disturbed, where I've been kind of like, God, I know you're there. I know you still love me. But this whole situation that we're in right now, I don't get it. Anybody ever told God you don't get it? I have. Now, I try to be very respectful when I say that, but I do tell him, I don't get it. Or I've said this, hey, God, I promise you, I get it. We can leave the testing behind. Anybody ever had that prayer before? Usually God says, <laughs> no, you don't. So this expected time of arrival, this, this ETA, this is our outline this morning. This is what I want you to take home for the rest of this week is ETA. We're going to make this a little interactive. We haven't done this in a while. So, with passion and Christmas enthusiasm in your heart and soul and voice, everybody, give me an E. E. Well done. Expect God's direction. Expect God 
to give you direction. You know, so many times I think we miss or are not aware of God's direction mostly because we're not expecting it. We, we think, God's just gonna drop it in my lap. But do we really, I mean, do we really expect God to lead us? Do we really expect God to direct us? Do we really expect God to guide us? Now I have to tell you, I've been following Christ for more than a minute now, and I have never heard the audible voice of God. I, have, I, I did not hear God say, Mac, Mary, Julie, propose now. I didn't hear that. That didn't happen. I've never seen God spell anything out in the stars for me. Do I think he could do it? In a heartbeat. He just has never chosen to communicate with me that way. But I can promise you this. There have been times, there have been seasons of prayer in my life where I know God has directed me, God has led me. He's given me thoughts that I wasn't smart enough to think on my own. He's given me insights that corresponded to his word, the Bible that I know I wasn't smart enough to dream up on my own. This is how God leads us. He leads us through prayer and scripture and godly counsel, other people. Let me tell you something. God will never direct you. He will never direct me to do something that contradicts his word. See, a lot of times we do know what to do. We just don't want to do it. I'm just telling you where I've been before. There are times when God's directions are, are inconvenient. There are times when I want to do X and God says, no, I want you to do Z. But to expect God's direction is to, is to wake up with a sense of expectation, not based in entitlement, but based in an awareness of who God is, based in the reality that he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you come after God with everything that you've got, open and surrendered and submitted to his will, I promise you, he will direct your path. Expect God's direction. That's what Mary did. Mary was expecting it. She was, she was trying to figure it out. She leaned into it, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Expect God's direction. Now, Gabriel and Mary are not done yet. Look at what happens in verses 34 and following. Luke chapter one, verse 34. Now Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. E, expect God's direction. Here we go, strong. Give me a T. Train yourself to ask directions. Train yourself. 
Asking God for directions is a spiritual skill that takes practice. It requires muscle memory. She, Mary said, how can this be? God says, you will have a child. He will be the savior of the world. And she goes, but I've not been with a man. My, my fiance, Joseph, and I, we're engaged, but we have not yet come together. And the angel says, don't worry about it. God's got this. You will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Mary was asking, how? How do we get there? I'm, I'm open to it. I've, 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 I've asked directions, but now how do I get there? And, and she's training herself. She wants to know how. She wants to know what to do, where to go, who to be, to be exactly who God wants her to be. And she says, may everything that you have said about me come true. May everything that you have said about me come true. Whatever God says about you, that's what's true. That's what's real. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a misdirection. But we have to train ourselves to ask directions. I wonder this morning, we've... we've We've alluded to this and kind of danced around it, but I want, to, I want to drill down into this for just a quick second. Where do you need God most right now? We've all got it. I mean, don't, don't think you're isolated or if we just, you know, started flashing stuff on the screen, you'd be the only one to have something. We've all got a place where we need God most right now. What's yours? What if this week, you made an appointment with God for 10 minutes every day to just train yourself to ask directions, to just train yourself to do the work of leaning into prayer and say, God, this is, this is where I need you the most. How do we make this happen? How, how, does, how does this get better? How do I learn what you're trying to teach me through this trial, through this problem, through this burden? You see, you have to train yourself to do that. But what if you took 10 minutes a day this week? 10 minutes. Make an appointment. Turn your phone off. <gasps> yes, turn your phone off. Don't talk to anybody. Just you and God. God, I'm asking for directions. I need you to show up in this place. You know the burden of my heart. You know what wakes me up in the middle of the night that I can't go back to sleep from. I'm asking you to show up right there. And I'm training myself to ask directions. I love what Mary said. I am the Lord's servant. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that Mary uses that word servant? When Paul in Galatians chapter 4 said, that the Son of God was born of a woman, a slave to the law, so that we who were slaves to the law could become children of God. May everything you have said about me come true. May everything you have said about me come true. 
Expect God's direction. Train yourself to ask directions. Let's finish strong. Give me an A. A. Accept God's direction. Accept it. May everything you have said about me come true. God, this is where you're leading me. May this come true. I will follow you. That's, that's part of the beauty of these Advent blocks. You know, these things that, that we're doing, there's nothing mystical or magical about blocks of wood or even days on the calendar, but it's time with God set aside to focus. You know, we had an Advent calendar when our kids were growing up in our, in our kitchen at home. It was a little thing that hung on the wall and it was kind of flannel quilted things and you'd put different characters from the nativity scene in December 1, December 2nd. And every morning at breakfast, Emily would do one, then the next day Joe would do one. And I remember very early on in their lives, it didn't take them long to figure out that putting Jesus in the manger, that was kind of the highlight of the whole nativity you know, calendar. And I will never forget the year that we had a knockdown, drag out fight at breakfast over who was gonna put Jesus in the manger. <clears throat> it's not exactly the heart behind Advent. And so we told him, say, look, here's what we're going to do. This year, Joe, you put Jesus in the manger. Next year, Emily, you'll put Jesus in the manger. And we'll just alternate years, and that way by the time you leave for college, it'll be fair, and we won't have this happen ever again. See, Advent is the opportunity to prepare our hearts and our minds far beyond just what happens at Christmas. It's, it's that opportunity to say, because Jesus arrived, because of Advent, my intent is to accept his direction. My intent, my, my purpose, my commitment, my submission, my surrender is to accept his direction. Jesus said it really clearly. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if he tells us to do something, then we do it. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. To accept his direction. Galatians chapter four, Paul follows up his initial thought like this. He says, now because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You see, fathers leave to their kids what they think is most important. The estate the inheritance of material goods pales in comparison to the spiritual inheritance dads leave to their kids. And when you choose to follow Christ, you choose to accept his direction, you become an heir with Christ. Everything that Christ has available to him from God the Father now is available to you. That's how much he loves you.
He opens the treasury of heaven into your life, into my life. And he says, come to the table. The book of Revelation calls it the wedding feast of the Lamb. Where all God's children gather to celebrate, to dine, to enjoy, to feast at the table of the Father. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you've never accepted his invitation to dine at the table, we want to give you that opportunity right now. You don't have to pass a test. You just have to give him your life. It's a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender, and a prayer of beginning in this relationship with God who loves you perfectly and unconditionally, as is, and he loves you too much to leave you there. If you want to step into that relationship, you pray something like this. Just say silently from your heart to his, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it, so that I can receive and accept your forgiveness, your grace, your truth. And Jesus, I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I've got. Lord, thank you for your advent event in my life right now. I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow. We have a, a gift that we would love to give you when we dismiss in just a minute. Out in this lobby to your right, where you're sitting right now, there's a, a place called The Hub, and we just have a gift. It's a, a new believer's packet, a kit. It's got a Bible in it that's easy to read and understand and a reading plan to help you begin in this new relationship. And as our heads are bowed for just another moment, our eyes are closed, I want to just ask you, if that was your prayer today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. Because For us as a church, there is nothing more important than that moment and the moments that follow. And so we celebrate that, we honor that with you. And our family tradition around here is, as you go ahead and put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.